Welcome to Korean True Crime with me, your host, Mimi Mizigo. Thank you to Vix Mack, Lala, Jay Colomo, Ben Jones, Ashley Rigby, William White, Suvibi Van Bremen, Blanca Blanca, G1 Edwards, Selkie, Nico, Elijah Hancock, Anominom, Dr. Bob, My96, Lumos, Emma Brown, and Audrey for their support on Patreon. Thank you for voting on today's episode topic. If you'd like to join my patrons, you'll receive ad-free early access episodes, weekly Korean true crime vocabulary hinting at the content of the next case, exclusive access to vote on future episode topics, and occasional bonus content. There are no tiers, so all patrons gain access to everything. If you'd like to support me with your love, find me on most social media sites at Korean True Crime. Sources are always available for free on Patreon. On February 25th, 2023, Andoni Sem's fitness YouTube channel uploaded a new video titled, The Reason Why I Started YouTube. The typical videos posted on this channel included titles such as burning thigh fat, exercises for people who work while sitting, and working out to make your butt pretty. The channel itself was very focused on exercises for women, especially those who wanted to target specific issues that they had. The channel gained a lot of popularity in its five years of operating and amassed 200,000 subscribers. They even had success with brand deals. Jeon Hira, the exercise coach behind the channel, meticulously maintained a very professional image, keeping her personal life largely hidden from her fans. Even on her Instagram, you'd find just information about clients, videos, and brand sponsorships. She strictly kept her channel professional until this video titled, The Reason Why I Started YouTube. In the video, she sat in her apartment instead of the usual gym setting, and her expression was serious and grim. She began with a very startling sentence. To be transparent, I'm the survivor of the Youngin family murders. Six years earlier, in 2017, Dun Hira, at the age of 27, was living on her own, away from her family. She wasn't married, which is the typical reason Korean adults move out of their family homes, but instead, she moved out of her family home because of the stress caused by her stepmother and stepbrother. When she was very young, her father, who we can call Mr. Dun, remarried a woman named Miss Lee. Ms. E already had a son named Kim Sung-gwan that was six years older than Hira. To clarify regarding the variety of family names in this case, Jun Hira and her father, Mr. Jun, share the same family name, while Ms. E and her son, Kim Sung-gwan, do not share the same family name. This is due to the Korean tradition of children taking their father's family's name. It's not common for women to change their name after marriage, so she goes by Ms. E, and her son is Kim Sung-gwan. I will do my best to make sure all the relationships are clearly understood. Shortly after Mr. Jun and Miss E's marriage together, this father and stepmother, they had a son together, which would be Hira and Sungwan's little brother. Victim names are not commonly revealed in criminal cases in Korea, so I am just going to refer to everyone as their relationship to Jun Hira. 
At first, Hira liked her stepmother. She was 13 at the time when her father remarried. Her new stepmom was kind and caring, and for a brief moment, it seemed like a harmonious family was forming. However, this facade of warmth didn't last very long. When her father wasn't around, Miss E's demeanor changed drastically, revealing a very different side of her. She became overprotective of her biological son, Sangwan, and was cold towards Hira. She felt neglected and unimportant in the eyes of her stepmother. The situation worsened after the birth of her younger brother. It became painfully evident that Miss E's love and attention were reserved solely for her own biological children. As Mr. Jun and Miss E enjoyed relative wealth, they spoiled the youngest child. For Hira, this neglectful treatment was something that she had grown accustomed to over the years. However, to Sangguan, the eldest, the new baby's sudden rise to the favorite child sparked jealousy within him. Hira decided to distance herself from the situation as much as possible and eventually decided to move out of the home as soon as she could. Nevertheless, despite the pain and emotional burden that she carried with her, Hira remained a caring daughter. She continued to visit her family and maintain regular contact through phone calls and visits, trying to keep some kind of semblance of familial connection. It's a pretty delicate balance of protecting herself from further harm while preserving some connection to her father and her stepfamily. But on October 23rd, 2017, when Hina called her father, she didn't get a response. It was pretty unusual for her father not to answer her calls, so she tried a few more times, growing increasingly worried with each attempt. She attempted to reach out to the stepmother and even the home phone, but received no response from any of them. Her youngest brother, who was only 14 at the time, should have been home, but he too seemed to be unreachable. Hira's concern increased the next day when she still didn't hear from her family. Two days later, on October 25th at 11 p.m., she made the decision to visit the family in Yangin in person. Upon arriving, she was met with silence. No one answered the door, and the locked door only added to her growing anxiety. She knocked repeatedly, desperately hoping for a response, but no one answered, so she used a spare key to enter the home. What she discovered inside would haunt her forever. Her stepmother and younger brother had been brutally stabbed to death. The gruesome scene shook her to her core, and she realized that her father and older stepbrother were nowhere to be found. She called the police who arrived shortly later, and according to the police, her stepmother and younger brother had already been dead for several days. The police swiftly initiated their investigation, starting with a thorough examination of the building's CCTV footage. The front door had last been opened on October 21st at 5 p.m., four days prior to Hira's arrival and discovery of the bodies. In the footage, Hira's older brother, Kim Sang-kwan, was seen leaving the apartment, having spent only a few hours inside. The evidence pointed to him as the prime suspect, and the police were now in pursuit of his location, fearing that he might attempt to flee the country. However, Hira could not provide any insight to his location. She did know that he had been living and working in New Zealand as the executive director of a global construction group. This information intensified the police's urgency to find him because it was likely that he would flee. Unfortunately, their fears were realized as they discovered that Kim sang had indeed flown out of South Korea to New Zealand on October 23rd, two days before the victims were found. 
The investigation faced a setback as they grappled with the process of locating and repatriating him from another country. The truth behind the horrifying murders was slowly unfolding, but it seemed as if justice might remain elusive until Kim sung Gwan was apprehended and brought back to face the consequences of his actions in South Korea. The police's investigation into the murder case of Hira's family wasn't just limited to the stepmother and younger brother. They were also still searching for her father, Mr. Jun, who was missing from the apartment. The discovery of her father's body, which occurred in the days following the discovery of the stepmother and younger brother's bodies, was not discussed in detail to the public. However, in a heart-wrenching move, Jun Hira decided to share the full extent of her family's tragedy in in her emotional 2023 YouTube video. In an intensely personal moment, she revealed that she was the one who discovered her father's body hidden in the trunk of his own car at the side of the road in Gangwon. She was the only family member there to identify his body. The gruesome sight is etched in her memory forever. She painfully recounted how her father had been brutally hacked to pieces and hidden in the car's trunk. This detail added an even darker dimension to this already horrifying case. Hira's decision to share this aspect of her family's tragedy was an act of immense courage, shedding light on the unimaginable horrors of the case. As her story touched millions of viewers, she inspired others to confront the pain that they may have harbored in their own lives and embrace healing and hope. But in that moment, six years prior, she could barely cope with the pain she was experiencing. Immediately after Kim sung Gwan fled the scene of the crime, he took his mother's bank cards and withdrew 120 million won, or approximately 100,000 New Zealand dollars, which is about 93,000 US dollars. With that cash on hand, sung Gwan picked up his wife and two children and drove to the airport. They shopped at a duty-free store at the airport, buying luxury products, clothes, and purses for a total of 4 million won, or $3,000. The rest of the money came with them to Auckland, New Zealand, where they immediately started to try a new life, living in a new home, buying new furniture, and purchasing a Mercedes-Benz SUV. They also paid off approximately $80,000 in debt. Sungwan and his family lived comfortably in New Zealand for the next two weeks before the New Zealand police arrested him on November 1st, 2017 for an unrelated theft that he had committed in the country. This arrest marked the beginning of the repatriation process. After spending 80 days in New Zealand, Kim Sung-kwan and his family were repatriated or returned to South Korea on January 11th, 2018. The investigation and trial moved swiftly as the prosecution immediately sought the death penalty for Kim Sung-kwan and 20 years in prison for his wife as an accomplice. The motive became clear during the investigation, revealing that it was obviously financially motivated, but I'd like to give you a full picture of Sung Kwan's descent into murdering his own mother. As a small child, Kim Sung Kwan lost his father and was raised by his mother and grandmother. His mother promised not to remarry until he reached adulthood, and she kept that promise. 
She was known to be very affectionate towards her son, and as an adult, Kim Sung-Gwan maintained a very close relationship with his mom. He often spoke to her, visited her, and received financial support from her. The police were baffled as to how a man who adored his mom so much could kill her in such a brutal and heartless way. However, the reason behind this slowly began to emerge. Kim Sung-Gwan's entire life was built on lies. He deceived everyone around him, including his own wife. When he met his wife, he introduced himself as the executive director of a global construction group in the UK and New Zealand. He would repeat this lie to his family, who rarely saw him when he was in New Zealand. Additionally, he promised his sister-in-law's husband that he would get him a job at the group that he directed. He even made commitments to friends, pledging to support their children's study abroad programs. All of these were just elaborate lies. The web of deceit extended further as Kim Sung-Gwan fabricated a tale about inheriting two buildings from his paternal grandfather, which he claimed would make him rich. He painted a picture of future wealth, building dreams for himself and others around this fiction. In reality, none of it was true. As the investigation continued, it became clear that Kim Sung-Gwan's life had been a facade of financial fantasy. The weight of maintaining this charade seemed to have pushed him to extreme measures, leading him down a very dark and dangerous path. Kim Sung-Gwan was a blue-collared worker doing entry-level work at a construction site in New Zealand. That was the truth. He made lies up to cover up his lies. His lies were destroying his life and his family's life as their financial situation was going under. He began creating fake websites and editing Wikipedia to add his name to articles to convince people to hire him. His entire life and self-esteem were dictated by how much money he had. During police interrogation, Kim Sung-Gwan's wife revealed that she was aware of his plan to take drastic measures to obtain money from the mother. In the months leading up to these events, he embarked on a campaign to vilify his mom after she refused to continue lending him large sums of money. He concocted elaborate stories of her wrongdoings, including the fictional death of his daughter and the kidnapping of his children. He sought to paint her as the antagonist in his entire life's narrative. It was a horrible attempt to justify his actions and shift the blame away from himself, allowing him to continue manipulating his family for financial gain. Psychologists analyzing the case noted that Kim Sung-Gwan's web of lies had become so entangled that he seemed to believe many of them himself. His mind had become a maze of deception and paranoia, where he felt constantly under threat from these enemies that he imagined himself, including his own mother. His wife recounted how he frequently exploded in fits of anger, threatening violence against anyone who dared upset him, often singling out his mother as the target of his rage. But on October 21st, Sungwan called his wife and stated, I got two of them. There's only one left. However, his wife, having been repeatedly deceived and manipulated by his lies and rants, initially brushed it off as another one of his emotional outbursts. Throughout their marriage, Sungwan had skillfully lied to her, distorting her reality and making her doubt the trust in his words. The blurred lines between fact and fiction left her unsure of what to believe, 
And in her first interrogation, Sungwan's wife desperately tried to shield him from culpability, painting an alternate version of the events that happened. She claimed that the murders had nothing to do with money, but were motivated by the mother-in-law's alleged kidnapping and attempted murder of their daughter. She was very firm in her conviction of his innocence. As the trial commenced, the prosecution sought justice for the victims, holding Kim Sung-won accountable for his actions and seeking the ultimate punishment, the death penalty. His wife was also facing a significant prison sentence, accused of being his accomplice in the brutal murders. The defense, on the other hand, fought fiercely to mitigate the charges, hoping to secure a lesser sentence for both of the defendants. Kim Sung-kwan was sentenced to life imprisonment, and his wife received an eight-year prison sentence for her role as an accomplice. Through the investigation, she was proven to have known his intent to commit the crime and had discussed financial gains through the mother's death. She has continued to file petitions for both Sungwan and her own release from prison, claiming they are both innocent victims. At the end of this case, the lone survivor of the familicide, Jun Hira, hid her pain and her story for six years, while her pain festered inside. Those around her had no idea the trauma she was experiencing, and she felt alone. She stated, There are no secrets in the world, and if you hold a secret in your heart, you'll become sick. She apologized to her fans on her YouTube channel for keeping this secret and promised that she would be going to a hospital and getting help. Since the publishing of her video, she has gone on to be interviewed on dozens of talk shows about her experience. She discovered through therapy that she has been suffering from PTSD. She answered the question, why did she start her YouTube channel? She believed that if she got her body healthy and helped others, that her pain would go away. She believed that if people cheered her on, that she would feel better, but she needed professional help to get better. While speaking on a women's talk show, she revealed another piece of the murder that followed her for years to come. Her father and stepmother's property was incredibly nice, and the interest on the loan for their apartment was close to 2 million won per month, or approximately 1,500 US dollars. Unable to afford this, she tried to sell the property, but Kim Sung-won was the inheritor of the resident and refused to sell it. Keep in mind, he's in prison for life, but he is the inheritor of the property, so it went to his children, who supported their father and mother. The money would be taken from Jun Hira's inheritance, which was split with Sung-won's children. Hira filed a civil lawsuit for her father's inheritance and possessions as his only biological child, which took five years in court to complete. In the end, she was left with very little. Jun Hira's life became a saddening reflection of the consequences of such a brutal crime beyond the immediate horror of the murder. Her journey towards healing and justice involved years of struggle, legal battles, and emotional hardship. Through her brave revelations, she not only sought personal healing, but also raised awareness about the lingering impact of violent crimes on survivors. In the wake of her courageous disclosure, I urge society to reflect on the support and resources needed to aid those who have endured unspeakable tragedies, ensuring that no one suffers in silence and that healing is accessible to all. 
Korea, like many other countries, needs to recognize the urgency of prioritizing mental health care and destigmatizing seeking help for emotional and psychological struggles. Traumatic incidents like this can leave survivors grappling with post traumatic stress disorder and other psychological challenges, which often require professional intervention and support. Jun Hina revealed that she suffers to this day with survivor's guilt as well, which is a symptom of her PTSD. Investing in mental health support and awareness campaigns can encourage individuals to seek help and ensure that survivors like Jun Hira receive the necessary care to cope with their experiences. By fostering a society that values mental well-being and provides accessible mental health services, Korea, like many other countries, can work towards healing and support for those who have endured these unimaginable tragedies, ultimately fostering a healthier and more compassionate community. Well, thank you for listening to Korean True Crime. I hope you enjoyed today's episode topic. If you'd like to vote on future episode topics, join Korean True Crime on Patreon today. If you'd like to hear more, follow the show wherever you listen and be sure to leave a review. If you'd like to send feedback, find me on all social media sites at Korean True Crime. See you next time.